Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hi, here we are again. Another week has rolled around, and we've actually not been on the road. We've been on the water and in the air. Hey, we should change the name of the show, Ayers on the High Seas. <laughs> we should. <laughs> Although the high seas does not seem like a great place to be right now after the news for the last couple of weeks with this, this crazy cruise ship. I mean, not the crazy sh- cruise ship. I think it was a crazy captain, but anyway. So, yeah, who would go on a cruise right after that happened? But we did, and we had a good time, and we had, oh, what would you say, uh, maybe 300 parents, 150 couples or so that we were able to... You know, say to them, hey, don't only just enjoy the cruise, let's talk about parenting. And there's a lot of boring days out there at sea, so, you know, they're kind of a captive audience. They can't go away, so we got to just bend their ears about how to be better parents to their kids. Well, actually, it wasn't just us, Richard. I mean, there were a lot of people, a lot more important than we are. We had George... No, we had the most important subject. Well, that may be true. But Dr. George Friedman was there, who is a world-renowned economist who was fascinating to listen to. Um, former President Fox from Mexico was there with us, and he was Fox. (laughs) And uh, he was so interesting. He's one of nine children and has six of his own and a darling wife, and that was delightful as well. And then we had um, Alex Castellanos. Alex Castellanos. Castellanos. Who's a political operative who ran Mitt Romney's campaign four years ago and is now graduated up to the position of commentator on CNN. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he was a great guy. He's a Cuban immigrant, which I didn't realize. Came over with his family as a young boy, and uh, so he certainly knows a lot about immigration and other things that were fascinating to hear him You know what, we'll we'll bounce back and forth to the things uh, we did on this cruise, but... uh, I, I was listening to the opening uh, music and so on today, Linda, and I've never paid much attention. There's a subtitle to our show, Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. And one of the things that, interestingly, that we maybe the reason I noticed is one of the things we were asking these parents on board the ship was, do you think that it is harder to be a parent today than it was a generation ago? And, oh, boy, is that ever a unanimous deal. Everyone says yes. And, in fact, a lot of people are like, well, let's go one step further. It's the hardest to be a parent that it's ever been in the history of the world. Do well, you think so? What do you listeners think? Uh, go, go ahead and just tell us. We can hear you backwards. Yeah, through for the sure. Line. We can. But I, I can offer the other end of that. I, you know, I think it was harder physically and emotionally, well, maybe not emotionally because there's so many issues that you have to worry about with your kids now, but physically, certainly, it was harder in those days. And, uh, you know, there was so many things that we don't have now. For example, rampant disease. My grandmother had 10 children and by the time she was 39. And then the flu epidemic came through and she died and took her two babies with her that same week. And they took them out in the night. They, didn't, they couldn't have a funeral or anything. It was so contagious. Lived up in Star Valley, Wyoming, and half of Star Valley died that year and you know those things are tragic those things are so difficult and that we don't have to live with right now i mean we talk about pandemics and that could happen but by and large there's some things easier some things harder 
Well, I don't think any of us would want to trade places with our own parents or our own grandparents and so on because there are a lot of advantages today. But as far as just how hard it is to raise children, uh, I probably agree that it's never been harder. And, of course, there's a lot of reasons. Well, one reason is that they weren't thinking about parenting in those days. (laughs) They were thinking about help. You know, they got their children so they could have help on the farms, which was certainly the case on both of my grandparents' side. They each had ten children, but they needed the, that help. They need those helping hands. That's totally different. They weren't thinking about being good parents and what can I do and how can well, I get a child to stay Well, I don't know. They, they, might have been thinking, and... they might have been thinking about being good parents. They just, they just probably hadn't labeled it as sort of a, a field of study uh, like sometimes well, we do today. And they didn't have a lot of books about it, but they, they were, you know, I just think what makes it easier then versus now is the simplicity of it all. They, they had, uh, you know, especially if you go back two generations to to the grandparents of most listeners today, there were so many less distractions. Imagine, imagine being a parent in an in an era where there were no smartphones, where there were was no. television where there were no video games i mean most of the things that parents today say are the biggest sort of detriments to their their children didn't even exist and so from that standpoint uh you could be a parent a couple of generations ago and essentially say these are my kids i'm in charge of my kids this is my house i can design this house i can design this family culture and my children will become a product of the culture that I develop here in this home. Boy, oh boy, you can't necessarily say that today. Well, that's true. And, and also, you know, in those days, it was just so different because, I mean, everybody has a good conscience about the way they want to be a good parent and so on. But a lot of them, I mean, they had rebellious children just like we do. They had some of the same things, same issues that we do now. But as you said, Richard, it's just so different now. In fact, I thought what you were going to say leading into this is that one of the other speakers on this boat was a man who had done a lot of research on social media, a lot of research. And one of his comments was that um, 69% of two- to five-year-olds can easily navigate a computer game, an iPad, or an iPhone to get what they want to do. But 11% of that same group cannot tie their shoes. Which I thought was kind of uh, irrelevant since kids don't have laces on their shoes today anyway. Well, true. I mean, some of them do. (laughs) Velcro, thank goodness, is still there. But we know what he meant. I mean, it's just amazing to see a three-year-old just whizzing through a little game on her mom's iPad or iPhone. And we're, you know, not exempt from that when we're with our grandchildren. You know, can I have your phone? Can I have your phone? Because they want to play. They want to do the thing. In fact, I'll never forget a three-year-old grandson. Once who I gave him my phone during a tennis match so he'd be quiet. And at the end, he said, I think I de-weeded scoops. And, uh, <laughs> I, I de-weeded angry buds, Guammy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, you know, you really do. It is a different world. It's definitely different. Well, and by the way, in case some of you listeners are thinking, well, I don't know if I'm going to listen to this whole show today. They're just debating how hard or how easy it is to be a parent today. So I'm just going to drop a little bomb on you. At least by the second half of the show today, we're going to be talking about SEX. Oh, we are. We're going to be, because one of the things on this, on this cruise, 
and we conclude this over and over, and it just seems to be universally true among parents today. Most of them, the conscientious ones at least, are doing a pretty good job telling their kids about the dangers of drugs and about how bad it is, all the violence they see on TV and so on, but not near as well are they doing in terms of really having the right kind of big talk with their kids about sex. And we learned some disturbing things on on the cruise. I don't want to jump to that right now, Linda, though, because before we get to that, I just... I, I think this is an interesting. I, I think I think the smart parent today essentially says, "Let me see if I can say this sort of in a way that sounds dignified and uh, wise." I think the smart parent today says, "Our children, or my children, are living in a world where they are a part of many, many cultures, and most of those cultures." I don't agree with, at least not not in, in, entirely. They're part of a media culture, which is so pervasive. They're part of an Internet culture, which reaches its tentacles out to them in all kinds of ways, many, many very negative ways. They're part of a peer culture where they're so highly aware of their friends. And, of course, that's always been true to a degree. Kids have always been a part of a peer culture, but it's sort of more pervasive today because it's not only face-to-face at school or whatever, it's online, it's texting, it's everywhere around them. They are never away from that peer culture. And so I think the wise parent today says, I acknowledge those cultures. I, I will not try the impossible, which is to extricate my kids from those cultures, although I'll try to manage them as best I can and in some instances restrict certain parts of them. But my main goal will be to create a family culture that is stronger than any of those other cultures, and that is a tall order. It certainly is. And But, you know, it's possible... I don't know. I mean, people say, wait a minute, I have teenagers. It's too late for me. They're they're already talking back, and they're already doing their own thing, and I can't control them anymore, and so on. And we, we just always say, you know, it really is good if you can start early, but it's never too late. There are some things you can do to um, create a family culture, even with your your kids that are in high school. Because you say to them, look, this is our deal. We, You are only going to be home for two more years or one or three or whatever it is. And uh, we want to create a really strong family culture. So the, here, here are some ideas for you, and we want your input on it. What do you think? How can we do that? How can we keep this family going past the time that you leave the house? Now, now some, some listeners may be saying, what, what are you talking about? What is a family culture? What do you mean? What do you... What are you saying here? And, and, and I think to clarify, a, fa- a culture, a family culture is made up of, of love and unity and relationships within the family, of course, but it's also made up of family traditions and family laws or rules and some kind of a family economy or responsibility sharing system. And it's made up of family meetings and a lot of time together and a lot of effort 
to really say to kids in various ways, hey, we are a family. This is our family. This is what we do. We support each other. This is this is what it means to be a family. And and those efforts, uh, you know, you don't get a family culture by default. You don't just say, well, you know, we live in the same house, so we must have a family culture. You build it over a lot of times. And here's a good segue before we go to the break, Linda, that when you think about it, um, even even a thing like talking to kids about sex, the, 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 this very question comes up. Are you going to leave that up to the peer culture? Are you going to leave that up to the media culture? Are you going to leave, leave what they think about sex and how they think about their physical bodies? Are you going to leave that up to the celebrity culture or to the Internet culture? And, of course, all of us are screaming, no, no, no. And and the answer is we need to have our own culture take over and do the preemptive strike and teach kids about the most important things in the world, not abdicate it to these other cultures. Well, of course, the hard part of that is that we have parents coming from different backgrounds. Some parents think, oh, that would be easy. Other parents would say, are you kidding? I don't even know what you're talking about. I, I, I can't identify with that at all. And then we have single parents, which maybe in some cases is easier because you have a little more say on what goes on when your children are in your house. Um, but it is really important for the parents to be on the same uh, page as much as possible. Sometimes we we have to admit the moms have to take the bull by the horn and get some things done. But but dads are great problem solvers. If you come up with a problem like how can we make our family more cohesive, how can we make um, them feeling like they belong to each other and that we're going to keep this going even after they leave home, then that that becomes really powerful. All right, we're going to take a brief break. During the break, get on the phone, call your friends, call your neighbors, call your relatives, tell them to tune in because in the second half of the show, we're going to be talking about how to talk to your child about sex. And uh, here we are. Here's here we are back. Linda. Actually, I have to say, I really love that first advertisement that we heard there and about spending quality time with your kids. Because before we launch into this subject, which Richard has mentioned in the first half, um, and which I didn't realize we were going to do today, Richard, uh, but we well, can do it. I wanted to surprise you. I didn't want you bailing out on me. You know, Linda, <laughs> when Linda you used to try to bail out on me, we were going to have the big talk with our kids. I know. I didn't want you bailing out. As you will find out, it turned out to be a lot of fun. But anyway, I do have to say, spending time with kids is so important, and I have just finished reading a book that I think is very controversial, but I really enjoyed reading it, even though it made me mad. It's called The Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother, and it came out last year, but it's just come out on paperback. But the whole thing is that Western moms don't spend the time that Chinese moms spend with their kids. They, Those Chinese moms are there every day when they come home from school. They're ready to drill them on their uh, masks. Uh, uh, big to differ, big to differ. They, well, there are some that do, some that don't. But I don't think, by and large, Western mothers are that way. I mean, they're obviously they want their kids to succeed and so on, but, but this mom takes it way over the edge. And uh, I think there's a happy medium where we can really concentrate on 
what are you doing in school and how can I help you? And a lot of parents are fabulous at that. But well, see, Linda, you're bringing up this whole other big subject because you're avoiding the subject of how to talk to your kids I'm not about avoiding sex. it, but <laughs> I just have to say that it is really important to spend time with kids. And some of the best time we have spent with our kids is talking about sex. I do have to say that. <laughs> we did there write a go. book. I have to say we did write a book how many years ago now, a long time, because we had all the kids around the dinner table and by the time we got to the end of the book, they were saying, oh, my gosh, do we have to talk about sex again? Because we kept running things past them and so on. And hopefully that wasn't over the edge. Well, that, let's start right there because those of you who are listening, we're not going to get through everything, obviously, on this radio show. But we, what we decided back then, which we still strongly believe now, is that what most parents need, most parents don't need a big lecture on you should really talk to your kids about sex. Most parents understand that the, in fact, the data show that there's a lot of good research that shows the earlier and more thorough a talk a parent has with a child about reproductive facts and about sex and about what is right and wrong vis-a-vis intimacy, the, the, the sooner and the, and the more thorough that talk is, the later will be that child's experimentation with sexual activity. And 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 so it's just it's just a matter of statistics. And like I said, I don't think parents need a big pep talk on that or a big guilt trip on that. What they need is a tool. They need something that makes them comfortable going into that talk. And uh, before we even get to what age we suggest that should happen, let us just say that when we ended up doing this book a few years ago, we decided to write it like a play. So essentially, the the the, the guts of the book is a dialogue for this big talk where the parent says this and then the child says this and it reads like a play and when it comes to a place where you're not sure what the child is going to say it'll even branch off if the child says this then you say this if the child says this then you say that and and I think that has emboldened I love that word that has emboldened many parents to say I could do that I could have that talk and so they go ahead. Some of sometimes they read it right out of the book, and that's okay. The m- important thing is here's the important thing: two things. Number one, do it in a in a in an atmosphere of trust. If you are a two-parent family, then this big talk should be the mom and the dad, both of you, talking to the child, and the child should be made to feel it's a very very special topic. Linda's really good at that, and she'll get to it in a minute. But we think the ideal age to have that first talk is eight years old, even right on the eighth birthday. Um, We had so much fun with this. Um, Luckily, somebody told us to do this before our oldest child turned eight. And so, again, prefacing this, if your child is 12 and you haven't had this talk, 15, you haven't had this talk, there are also ways to approach it with them and so that they feel comfortable with it. And, you know, you start out by saying, you probably know a lot of this stuff, but we really haven't talked about it enough. And and, and, so and we'll, we'll we give you a website to, to do before we sign off today that, that'll give you this dialogue that you can work on. But, uh, but, but I, I heard a few gasps, Linda, when we said, Eight years old. Some are like, "Oh, that's," but they're so innocent. Oh, but that's so early. And of course, the answer to that objection is that's the point. You want to have a preemptive strike. You want to be the one. And, and even at eight, kids will have heard things and so on, but they won't have really focused or, or you know, become 
sort of indoctrinated in any way. If you have that talk with a child on their eighth birthday, I'll guarantee you, what you, and if you do it thoroughly, 90% or more of what you tell them will be the first time they've heard it. And you have the power as a parent to put it in a positive vein. You really have two goals going into this talk. One is to help them understand how wonderful human intimacy really is with the right person at the right time. And that's a goal that they will have a wonderful uh, life of intimacy with the person that they find and marry. But the other goal, of course, is to help them avoid the kind of earlier and earlier experimentation that is so damaging to children, both emotionally and often physically as well. Well, and I, but to finish the the thought of how we did this, um, we actually, on like two weeks before their birthday, we would, for their eighth birthday, we would say to them, you know, in a couple of weeks, it's your birthday, and Dad and I are taking you out to a restaurant of your choice, wherever you want to go, and we are going to have so much fun because after that, we are going to tell you about the most awesome, amazing thing you have ever heard. It is absolutely incredible. We can't tell you what it is, but it is just Amazing. So then, beautiful. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And there, boy, I'll tell you, a lot of kids are just going crazy trying to figure out what could that be? What are we going to talk about? One of our kids thought for sure it was going to be some great exotic flower that nobody <laughs> knew about. Anyway, then a week before, only one more week, and we get to take you out, tell you about the most amazing, beautiful, awesome thing in the world. It has to do with you, but we're not telling you what it is. You just get excited. So we started out with couching this in something really positive. Instead of, they'll get all the negative stuff. They'll get the negative stuff at school, the dangers, the scary stuff, all that. Because what you want to do as a parent is approach it from the positive side and say, you know, at the right time and in the right place, this is absolutely amazing. Well, so, and here's well, let me just throw in here's why. This is another thing. The data, the research shows that uh, the single most effective safeguard or delaying tactic in terms of kids experimenting with sex and and uh, thinking of it almost recreationally. The most serious deterrent to that is to have in their heads a very positive view of how special and how wonderful human intimacy can be. And it turns out that it's that that prevents them. It's not fear of sexually transmitted diseases, although that may play a, a factor. It, it's not fear at all. It's it's the idea that, oh, this this is something that can be special this thing that I'm thinking of doing now or that my friends are telling me about or the dirty jokes I'm hearing or whatever, they are not special, and I want it to be special. Well, we do have to say that there is the real world out there, and this, and what actually three parents came up after we talked about this on this cruise and said, you know, I love this idea, but what if you weren't perfect as a kid? What if you made some mistakes? And they ask you about it, you know, how do you handle that? Because that's one of the main reasons I think parents don't want to talk about it, because they have some guilt feelings or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, what we've said to them is, you know, your life may not be perfect, and you can tell them that you've made some mistakes. You don't need to go into details. But Please say, don't. <laughs> I, I have made, yeah, exactly. I, you know, I I have made some mistakes, and I don't want you to make the same mistakes. 
this is how we feel about it now, you know, think about it and, and, and really ponder over this because it really is something that will make your life so much happier. So, you I bet know, you've got your pencils out by now. Let me tell you the website where you can really get sort of a, a much more detailed overview of what we're saying than what we have time for on the radio. Just go to valuesparenting.com, all strung together, uh, values with an S, and then parenting with no space.com, and then click on the left-hand side, you'll see a menu, and click on the part that says how to talk to your child about sex. And then I think what will happen is you'll start reading that dialogue, and you will say to yourself, I can do this. Now, as Linda pointed out, if your children are older than eight, there's some modifications, and they're, they're on the website there, too, that you, you need to change your approach a little bit if you're talking to a 12- or 13-year-old, and you don't assume at that age that they are sort of, excuse the pun, but that their ears are virgin uh, in terms of this discussion. And so you, you approach it in a little different way. Well, speaking of that, Richard, I have to break in here because one mom came up to me afterwards and she said, she said, you know, I totally agree with everything you said, but I have a friend, I mean a dear girlfriend, who has a 13-year-old boy. He's in the eighth grade. Oh, are you really going to tell this, Linda? This, is, this just makes me sick. Well, it does make it makes us all sick, but you have to realize that the real world is out there, and it's very scary. She said that this uh, eighth grade boy is, and she said, you just came to me just before I left and said, oh, my son is going to score twice this weekend. I'm sure of it. She's so, and she's pushing for it. See, that's sick, Linda. I don't, I don't think there's one mother like that in 10,000. Well, she seemed to think there were several mothers in there in her circle of friends who really, you know, as long as they're protected, it's fine. And uh, that is the scary world that our kids are growing up in. I, I mean, obviously it's probably well, worse in urban areas. Well, I guess that's another reason. If you on. really think that that's out there, that's another reason to get busy and take control of what it is your kids know and what they hear. And actually, when you have this talk, you you say, you know, what the, people are going to you're going to hear about this a lot in school and they're not always going to say this is wonderful they're going to call it dirty and they're going to it's going to make you feel weird when they're talking about it and so on but you you need to come and talk to us this is just the beginning talk let's keep talking about this and then actually there's so many teaching moments once the book is open once you see those eyes get wider and wider and you say at the end did you know anything about this and even though even if they've used sexual language and so on they Everyone that we have heard of have said, no, I didn't know anything about it. Although some urban areas say, no, eight's too late. you got to start when they're six. But well, it is so fun to have them, when you see a TV show that has something objectionable, you can sit down by them and say, I don't agree with this picture. There's something wrong here. What? This is how I felt about what happened there. What? How do you feel about that? And so that you're talking about it as a dialogue, and you're making your kids to be into um, critics instead of just being sucked in by all this media stuff and, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that looks fun. Oh, yeah, everybody's doing Linda, that. Linda's not suggesting, by the way, that you sit down and watch pornography with your children. Well, no, of course not. <laughs> but there's something on TV but, that's but objectionable sitcom, every day. Right, if you see a sitcom and, and it implies that these people are just sleeping together or whatever, that you, you really are, you, you, once you have the big talk, and that's not the end of it, but, of course, that that's what empowers you to have, follow-up discussions that might be based on a 
TV show or on something one of their friends says or whatever. Once you've, in fact, let me try to say two things to try to embolden you. There's my word again, embolden you to have this talk with your child if you haven't, or to have a more thorough one than you've had so far. Number one is, and I, I swear this is true, of all the thousands of people who Linda and I have talked to, have either read this book of ours or who we've spoken to or whatever, we've never had one parent say, oh, I, I wish I hadn't had that talk. I wish I hadn't tried that. I, you know, it didn't go well. I mean, it doesn't go perfectly, but no one regrets it because it is something that, that uh, you know, that, that opens that door and that allows communication. And that's the second guarantee I want to make you. If you have this, once you've had a, a thorough talk about sex with your child, it'll make it so you can talk to that child about just about anything. It's like, hey, if you've crossed the Rubicon, if you have if you can talk about that, <laughs> then, then it's easy to talk about some of the other things that are maybe, uh, you know, not getting talked about that should be talked about. Well, and actually it's fun. All of our kids look back on that night as a great momentous day in their lives. They remember what they wore, what they ate, how they felt, and, and talking about it with them afterwards, it is so fun to realize that's the beginning of their life, their sexual, their, actually their healthy sex life for the rest of their life. So it really is a fun thing to do. I mean, I was, you're right, Richard, at first I was horrified thinking, I can't do this, I can't do this, and it turned out to be one of the funnest nights of our lives and now we're all done with our kids if you guys want to send some guys some kids over to us we'll be glad to take no, care of them no 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 you're joking <laughs> just kidding we're almost out of time but we want to tell you we look forward to these little Mondays on the road with you our loyal listeners we we wish you all the best and the most important job in your entire lives, and that is raising your children. We'll see you again next week.